Well, as your bulletin says, and as Pastor Bob reminded us, and as the church calendar should remind you, today is the day of Pentecost. Churches around the world today celebrating together the day of Pentecost. So it's known as Pentecost Sunday. Now that word Pentecost is actually a Greek word, and pente means 50. So it's basically what that means is 50 days after Easter. So what's really interesting about Pentecost Sunday is obviously the church has been celebrating it all through church history, but its roots are actually in the Jewish feasts. And one of the most fascinating studies I'd encourage you that you can ever do is the feasts of Israel, the Jewish feasts, and how how those feasts prophetically point to Messiah and prophetically point to the end times. It's a very, very interesting study, but we're not doing that today. But anyway, one of these Jewish feasts that, that this Pentecost was named after was a unique Jewish feast because it was the one that was on the first day of the week or on the Sunday. You see, because it's Jewish or Israelite culture, of course, all of their holy days and holy celebrations would center around Sabbath. But what was unique about Pentecost was that it was actually had an additional day, 49 plus 1, 50 days exactly, to get you to the first day of the week. And there's many believe that that was God's ingenuity and prophetic power in going, ha, my fulfillment is going to come, and here's another sneak peek as to what Jesus is going to do. What's also interesting about the original Jewish feast was that on that feast day, they celebrated the birth of the nation Israel and the giving of the law. So it was sort of their day to to celebrate the giving of the law, the birth of our nation. And yet, 2,000 years ago, when the Holy Spirit fell on all gathered for this huge Pentecost celebration, God did something brand new. On that day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. We moved from law to spirit and from one nation to the church that is for all. And so that's what we celebrate tonight, today. Still not tonight. That's coming, but today. So we celebrate with churches around the world that the birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's just read quickly what happened on that day. It's in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 begins like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I don't know how many of you have read that passage many times or maybe... Maybe not that many, but what comes to mind when you try to imagine this scene? I I, I can't even find. I tried to find pictures of the scene, and they all look so cheesy I didn't even try. But what did this look like, this rushing wind, this tongues of fire? And then imagine that on that day of Pentecost, when there's like thousands of people visiting Jerusalem, just packed full of people, and these crazy disciples start to speak in languages they'd never learned before. They start sharing the gospel and these signs and wonders are happening, and can you imagine? That's what happened that day. In fact, there must have been so much exuberance or something with these disciples because the people accused them of being drunk. Now, Peter, when he got up later, he said this in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. He said, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I guess they hadn't heard about it's noon somewhere in the world saying yet. Anyway, I digress. No, this is what was spoken... by the prophet Joel, in the last days, God says, 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Okay, that's another sermon. I'll try to get past that one. So what's this part about they thought that they were drunk? Now, maybe you've never thought about this much before, but, you know, often when you come from a more conservative church background, like I would guess most of us in this room do, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit and start talking about manifestations of the Spirit and, like, gifts of the Spirit and, like, if you've been to some charismatic or Pentecostal-type churches and you've heard and seen some kind of weird manifestations of the Spirit, um, I don't know if you have that in mind. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that scares you. Maybe that has you go, wow, could we ever do with some more life in our church? But, you know, the one thing I think we have to concede is that, again, the the scripture says that they spoke in languages, so they weren't just like doing gibberish. They were speaking the gospel in languages. But still, why were they accused of being drunk? Well, I don't know for sure, but my best guess would be there must have been so much, like, just on-fire exuberance They were so excited, so full, so ready to just boldly go out and share that that their emotions and everything about them looked like they were drunk to people. So all I want to say by that is, is that let's not be too quick to pull emotion and our humanity out of our experience with God. Because, you know, there is something so beautiful and refreshing about letting all of our being, body, soul, spirit, emotion, and sometimes even getting a little bit excited over this incredible message of Jesus, and I believe that the Holy Spirit can do that. So, but what's way more important than any kind of manifestations of the Spirit is what happened that day. And further on in Acts chapter 2, it says, so Peter gets up and shares this amazing sermon, and it said, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, that's what the Spirit does. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then later, after they digest the sermon at the very end of the chapter, it says, Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So that's just a little glimpse into what happened on that first Pentecost Sunday. The birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're already ahead of ourselves in the story, but our main text today is actually going to take us back to John, to when Jesus begins to prepare the disciples for this Holy Spirit that they'd really never heard of or thought about before is going to be promised by Jesus. And they're going to have to grapple with this. So that's kind of where, where, we're, where we're going to go today. So we're going to be in John chapter 14. Now, if you're confused, because last week I spoke on John 15, I did that on purpose because I knew today was Pentecost Sunday. I went ahead because I wanted to preach on the Holy Spirit today. So sorry if that confused you, but that's why we're in, in John chapter 14. Now, I want to begin reading verses 12 to 14, because it sets up the whole discussion. So Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Okay, I don't know about you, but when I read this text, first I go, wow. 
And then next I go, hmm. There's some pretty, like, lavish promises being made here. What is Jesus saying here? So Jesus, like Jesus is saying, you're going to do greater things than me. What? Now, I don't know about you. If, so if Jesus is talking about miracles, signs and wonders that he did while he walked the earth, well, you know, I know we've got some great stories from missionaries and different revival movements in the past. We could point to some of that. But I don't know about you, but I don't remember the last time I calmed to see or raised someone from the dead or prayed over someone and they were instantly healed. I hope people have been healed when I prayed over them in faith and with others. But anyway, it's just really hard for me to grapple with this. What do you mean greater things, Jesus? What are you talking about? And then if that doesn't mess you up, what about anything you ask in my name I'll do? I think every one of us would put up our hands if we said there's so many times we prayed things in Jesus' name, prayed with great faith and fervor and everything else, and it didn't seem like God answered our prayer. So what do we do with this? Well, first of all, I want to say I don't fully know. (laughs) My My mystery joins you in your mystery. But I think this is helpful in understanding what Jesus was trying to say. See, I think the key to what Jesus was talking about here is multiplication. Did I say that right? Multiplication. That is what Jesus is talking about. You see, when Jesus was the one God-man on earth bringing, doing the works of the kingdom, the kingdom was restricted to Jesus and the few followers around him. But what Jesus is now pointing to, to his disciples, is he's saying a time is going to come when the Holy Spirit is now going to be in every believer of mine, every follower of mine, and my works and my mission and my kingdom is going to be multiplied around the world. And in that multiplication, you're going to do greater things because the ministry of all of that is going to be multiplied. And I think that that can apply somewhat to prayer too, that when we're praying in the Spirit and the Spirit's changing our desires to pray things that are in God's will and in Jesus' name, and that multiplication of prayer, we'll see more answers to prayer too. So I know that's not a perfect answer, but I, I think that might help you out in terms of how do we grapple with this greater things. So let's now go to verse 15 and hear Jesus begin to introduce the Holy Spirit now and this that must have been, had the disciples all wondering too. Anyway, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and that you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So in this little section, Jesus bookends again with this whole idea, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And of course, Jesus did speak and teach many commands. And and it seems like all of this, if you love me, it's, it's almost like kind of cyclical, right? It's kind of like, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. And if you follow my commands, it means you love me, right? You kind of get how that goes around. And yet, if you remember from last week, do you remember how Jesus like very clearly defined what he meant by how we obey his commands? 
what the ultimate obedience to his commands are? Twice in chapter 15, love one another. Highest priority, love one another. So again, Jesus is saying all of these things as he's going to now talk about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says that I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another, my translation says, advocate. Now, the Greek word here is paraclete, and um, theologians and scholars and translators have had trouble with that word all through history. In fact, a lot of them kind of wished that we wouldn't have tried to translate it, but just kept it as paraclete because it's such a unique word. And yet, and so some, some of your translations may say counselor, some may say comforter, those are all right, but I think from, I would suggest to you from all of the reading and study I've done that, that the reason that advocate is actually the best English translation of this word is to try to get to the original meaning of what paraclete means. And it was actually a Greek legal term that literally meant one called to the side of. One called to the side of. So basically, an advocate is someone who supports you, someone who is there for you, who will stand up for you, who will defend you, who will speak your cause, your advocate, your support person. And especially in difficult times or in a Greek legal sense or whatever, that, that's the picture we get with advocate. So even though counselor is, is an okay word, or, and even comforter, those are definitely roles of the Holy Spirit, but somehow in our modern thinking, that kind of gets us off track a little bit to really what Jesus is saying with this word, or John used this word paraclete to describe the advocate. Now, it's also interesting to note here that Jesus says, I'm going to send you another advocate. That's really key, because what Jesus is trying to say to them is, okay, you guys are all freaking out right now, hearing that I'm going to be leaving, but you know, when I leave, I'm going to be sending this advocate, this paraclete to you, and it's going to be another, it's going to be just like me. This, this spirit of truth that's going to come is going to live within you, and rather than having my presence beside you, you're now going to have my presence within you. And so he's basically saying, hey, and then later on, he's actually going to say, it's better for you that I leave. Like that always gets me, right? Because what could be better than getting to hang out with Jesus, right? And yet he's saying it's going to be better for you because once the spirit lives within you, you see, while Jesus was on earth, he, he operated in the spirit, of course, but the spirit was always kind of around him and through him and limited to the people that he could touch and influence. Whereas when the Holy Spirit comes, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus is promised will be filled with the spirit. The multiplication is amazing, and that's what Jesus is, is trying to hint here. When he says that this spirit of truth, he lives within you, and he will be in you. Now, this is so key. So he's saying to them, this spirit of truth, this advocate that I'm talking about, you know him already because he lives with you. They've been experiencing him already through the ministry of Jesus. And he says, but he's going to be in you. He will be in you. Now, here's what's confusing to the disciples, okay? Good Jewish men brought up in Jewish culture with the Old Testament. This is how they would have understood the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would not have really been a term or an idea really to them because they were monotheistic, so they believed in one God, Yahweh, God the Father, and they didn't have any concept of how we would understand the Trinity. In fact, that was a big reason why Jesus was so controversial. But anyway, they would have had this idea that, that the Spirit of God is really just the Spirit of God, right? And so 
um, I don't know, this is a really terrible way to imagine it, but it would be a little bit for you Star Wars fans, kind of like the Force, right? The Force be with you. So it's kind of like there's God, and then there's this spirit of God, this force from God, but they wouldn't have had an idea of him being a separate being or entity. The, the Jews in the Old Testament also taught us that the spirit of God resided in the temple, more specifically in the Holy of Holies and in the Ark of the Covenant, this very holy box, really beautifully adorned box that had the Ten Commandments and and some manna in it from their history. And it was very revered. And they believed that God's spirit, God's presence um, was in the temple. You see this over and over again, right? All through the Psalms. Anytime David or any of the psalmists are talking about longing for the presence of God, wanting to be in the presence of God, it's always, we've got to go to Zion. We've got to go to the mountain. We've got to go to the temple. That's why it was so huge and all through the prophets because in their way of understanding, that's where God's spirit resided. Now, to make it more confusing though, every once in a while, God's spirit would also like empower somebody randomly and it would happen throughout their history but it always seemed to be special people for special occasions or special needs, right? So when you read like through David's life or even in the judges, it's pretty amazing how God's spirit came on some of those judges, but be messed up, read judges. But anyway, that, that's, that's how they understood the Holy Spirit. So either the Holy Spirit is present in the temple or the Holy Spirit comes upon special people for special assignments at special times. That's how they understood it. So the fact that they're with Jesus, they can get their heads a little bit around the idea that when we're with Jesus, this God's spirit is going to, we're going to get some of that too. And they experience that on their mission trips as well. But now Jesus is saying this really radical thing. That now, or what's coming, is that the Spirit is now going to be in you. Now, let's think about this for us and where we're at for a while. How do you, when you think about being filled with the Spirit, what does that look like to you? How do you understand being filled with the Spirit? Now, for some of you, being filled with the Spirit may simply be When I became a Jesus follower, when I became a Christian, when I prayed the prayer of repentance and asked Jesus to come into my life, that by the promise of Scripture, he came into my life, and I'm a spirit-filled Christian. So, just salvation is synonymous with being filled with the Spirit. You might have noticed that I already read it today from Acts, and it's actually all through Acts. Did you get the progression? First, it's repent. Jesus added repent and believe sometimes. Repent, believe, be baptized, and then be filled with the Spirit. So maybe we're filled with the Spirit after we're baptized. Okay? Some of you would have some big theological problems with that as well, but you could make that argument, right, from Scripture. Could I just make a little aside here and sort of note the importance of baptism and how important it is to the connection between receiving God's grace and being filled with the Spirit. Just, just think about that if you're, if you're discerning baptism still. It is such an important step of being obedient and such an important step of God's Spirit freely working in and through you. Anyway, you think about that. So, is it, is it salvation? Is it baptism? Now, in some, in some circles of the church, and again, this would be in more Pentecostal or charismatic circles, they would teach that you aren't filled, in, you aren't filled with the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. So, if you um, don't have some kind of experience of speaking in tongues, you are a Christian, yeah, but you're not filled with the Spirit. 
Now, some would say, would believe a form of that and would say, well, you know, maybe being filled with the Spirit, though, is kind of a post-salvation event that is unique for everybody, but some people would call it the second blessing, and it may be that at a different time in their life, when they surrendered to God, they were filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. So, have I, have I confused you enough yet with what it means to be filled with the Spirit? Now, this has been really helpful for me, and so I will just lay it out to you, and I hope it can be helpful to you, but this is how I've come to understand this. Theologians often will talk about the difference between the spirit with, that, that is in and the spirit that is upon, okay? So the in and the upon. So the idea with that understanding is that when we come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God takes residence in us. And so in that sense, we are always filled with the Spirit if we're a follower of Jesus. However, there's also times when the Holy Spirit in power comes upon us to empower us in our spiritual gifts, to give us boldness for serving and ministry or, or to face tragic things that we're going through. And there's definitely evidence all through church history, through all the revival movements, in both conservative and charismatic churches of all stripes, evidence of this phenomenon of the Holy Spirit coming upon. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon, then we can get back to the controversy of, well, does there have to be a manifestation? And when I say manifestation, I mean some kind of physical evidence, like tongues or some other charismatic type gift to give evidence to the fact that the Holy Spirit has filled you. So that, that, that's what I mean by manifestation. Sometimes they get called signs and wonders. So we can get... The problem with manifestations and signs and wonders is the church seems to jump to two extremes. We seem to either be on the side of, oh, all that crazy stuff stopped with the apostles. That was just that special era. We don't need any, any of that anymore. We just believe in Jesus and the Spirit's in us and we're good to go right? Or you get the other extreme where it's just all about manifestations. And I don't know, maybe none of you have been in that kind of a setting I have before, where it's like people just get so enamored with the gifts of the Spirit and the Spirit moving and all kinds of weird and wonderful things happening. And it can be, it can be very exciting at times too. But sometimes people can get so caught up in manifestations that they almost forget the mission and forget the fact that the Spirit lives within them. And it's not all about manifestations. Can I suggest to you and while well, am I pleading? I don't know. Suggest to you, let's not, let's not fall into either of those ditches, but let's try to have a biblical understanding of how the Spirit is within, but the Holy Spirit can also fall upon. Now, let me give you uh, my favorite example. My favorite example of, of how the Holy Spirit changes everything. Now, back one more step. I would suggest to you, just my suggestion again, but I would suggest to you that the number one manifestation of the Holy Spirit is boldness. Not tongues or any other thing like that. The number one evidence or manifestation of the Holy Spirit is boldness. So let me illustrate. To me, the best example is Peter. So remember the Peter that we meet in John, right? The Peter, yes, when Peter by his own strength gets bold at times and then does stupid things. Peter denied Jesus. Peter fled in fear. Like, that's Peter pre-Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, and what does Peter do? 
The guy that was hiding, the guy that was afraid, the guy that denied him three times in a small little group of people, now stands up in front of thousands and declares the gospel with power and authority, and a paltry 3,000 people come to faith. See, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not Peter finally got it. Peter got more education. (laughs) Peter, no, no, that's the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit fills us, comes upon us, boldness ends up being the number one manifestation. Now, this next part of the story I always love, because you would think, okay, if I had an Acts chapter 2 experience, I'd be good to go for life. Oh, man. And I, and I meet people like that all the time. They can identify a very distinct Holy Spirit filling time in their life. Actually, I can too. But to some people, they can look back at that time and they can kind of go, that's when it happened. And I've just been giving her and on fire ever since with boldness and using my gifts and just living with the Holy Spirit. Well, here's what's fascinating to me. A few chapters later, so the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Two chapters later, we're in chapter 4. Now, we're not sure how much time has gone by. Maybe days, probably weeks, maybe even months. But some significant time has gone by. And they're continuing to share the gospel with great boldness and power and excitement. All kinds of crazy things are happening. People are getting healed. But then Peter and John get arrested. And basically, the authorities say, stop preaching about this Jesus guy or we're throwing you in prison and shutting down your movement. So the disciples are, and the believers are scared, right? So what do they do? They're, they do what we should all do. They met to pray. And they prayed and they prayed for God to give them boldness again and to help them through this. And then I love this. So this is what it says in Acts 4.31. Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you love to be in a prayer meeting where the room is shaken and everyone is filled with the Spirit and we just all want to rush out and boldly share our faith or, or show an act of love or just anything the Spirit would be inspiring us? It's amazing. But here's what I want to say to you. Were these Christians fickle? They already were filled with the Spirit. What's wrong with them? Why did they need it again? They did. I would suggest to you from these examples from Scripture that the filling of the Spirit is likely not a one-time event, but that the filling of the Holy Spirit is going to be a lifetime of many events in our lives. I would suggest to you that you could pray every day for God's Spirit to fill you, and that could be a good thing. And yeah, there's going to be times when that upon is going to be special and unique and empowering. Now, maybe some of you have experienced that in different ways, and maybe you just don't recognize it because I'm making it sound way too grandiose or whatever. But, you know, it may have just been, you know, maybe one time you're talking with someone, and it just felt like all of a sudden God took over your mouth, and you started to say all these things that made sense and encouraged this person, or this person came to faith, or something like that. And then later, you're going, what did I say? Like, and they're saying, oh, you said all these amazing things, and it pointed me to Jesus, and and you're kind of going, how did that happen? Well, that, that could have been a time when the Holy Spirit came upon you. And there, there can be lots of examples like that where, where um, maybe you were asked to do something that was completely outside your comfort zone. And you're going, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that that crazy pastor Darren asked me to do this. And so then what do you do? You pray and you pray and you pray. 
And then when you get up to do it, petrified, it's like, whoa, I did it. Like, whatever that may be, whatever kind of serving that, that God would have called you or gifted you to do, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you, it's powerful and effective because it's done in his name. In our weakness, he is strong. And I could try to give, give other examples, and, but again, we need to continually be praying for the Spirit of God to fill us. And in fact, I'm so convinced that even in this transitional process we're in, you know, I can't preach enough or convince you enough or find the newest and fanciest strategies of how to help hurting churches. Well, none of that, all of that stuff will be nothing if this process isn't empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And nothing will happen in us unless God's Spirit softens our hearts and fills us afresh and anew and refocuses us back on the mission again. And only God can do that. You see, we, we, we often make this mistake, and pastors are the worst at it, so I can say this from experience. But one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we think it's our job to convince people of something. We think it's our job to convict people of something. We don't. We testify to what Jesus has done in our life, and the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is going to convince. If, some, if people in this church need to be convinced of something, it's got to be the Holy Spirit. We've got to keep remembering that. Even, even as we, and, and I can relate to some of, you, some of you parents that pray and pray for your kids or your grandparents. You're praying and praying for your grandkids. And there's some of them you would just like to hold them down and twist their arm until they get it, right? Tell me the last time that worked. Right? Or you think that you've got to find them another book or come up with some other thing that you do, or you get mad at yourself because you think, maybe I'm not praying the right thing. God, give me the right prayer strategy. And what you gotta keep in mind all the time, yes, keep praying. Yes, keep loving. Yes, keep doing everything in your power to love that child or that person you love, but you can't convince them of anything. You can't convict them of anything. God's spirit does that. You pray for God's spirit to hover over that loved one. You pray for God's spirit to speak to that loved one and love them like crazy and then step aside because sometimes our trying to convince and convict backfires and not just in that situation, all the time in the church too. Let's let the Holy Spirit do his job because he's within us and he wants to come upon us to empower the gifts he's given us, to empower us with boldness because we're not meant to do this on our own. We're not meant to live this Christian life by our strength. It's a waste of time. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not good try, church. No, nothing. It's all got to be empowered by God's Spirit. Okay, finish up. Jesus says so many other amazing things here that I probably should cover, but I'm just going to go to his next statement on the Holy Spirit. So skip one slide and go down to verse 25. John 14.25, Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, there he is again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The role of the Holy Spirit. To teach you and remind you. And that may apply to a couple of the examples I gave before. You know, when we hide God's word in our heart, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can trigger memories and trigger, tr 
trigger God's works and God's words within us because that's what he longs to do is to teach us. His role to teach and remind. Remember, I'll say it again. It's the Holy Spirit who convinces. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts even within us. Let's focus on softening our hearts towards him. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit. Oh, and then how can you not read those last verses because, wow, Jesus, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not, I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Can I even encourage you as you think about this whole filling of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, if it makes you a little bit fearful, can I encourage you again with Jesus' words? Jesus says, you know what? Peace be with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I got this. You know, what's so amazing about Jesus' peace is, like, think of what he's saying to the disciples. Like, he's about to lead them into a revolution. It's not going to be like peace and tranquility. We're all going to just, like, sit back and, and relax. That's not the kind of peace he's talking about. He's saying, I'm leading you guys into, a re- into, into a, like a reformation, really. And it's even going to be expanded more after Acts chapter 2. Like, I'm not leading you to peace and tranquility, but what is he saying? I don't give peace the way the world gives peace or the way you faultily think of peace. Jesus is giving a supernatural inward peace to where we can trust his presence and trust that he's got this covered even if we're in the worst of times, even when everything seems completely chaotic around us like it would have for these disciples. Jesus' heart went out to them, but he wanted them to know, I is your advocate, and when the Holy Spirit comes to be your other advocate, you will have the presence of God within you all the time, and that will be your peace no matter what you're going through. Praise God for his peace. So, it's Pentecost Sunday. I've preached on the Holy Spirit. We need to pray. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come. They're going to they're going to lead us in a couple songs to kind of guide our response. And this is how I want to invite you and encourage you to respond today. During the first song, um, feel free to sing along. But I also want to encourage you to just wrestle in your spirit a little bit and ask a really hard question. Ask this question. Holy Spirit, do you want to fill me again? Do you want to fill me anew? And then think about this. Can the Spirit of God give you the boldness to say, I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to completely fill me and anoint my life? Maybe that's a prayer you've never prayed, or maybe it's a prayer you've prayed many times. But can I invite you to consider praying that prayer fresh and anew for you today and ask the Spirit to fill you? So I want you to meditate on that and ask that question in your spirit while they sing, while they worship. Again, sing along too. And then after that song, I'm going to come up and, and pray over us. And in faith, ask for the Holy Spirit to honor these prayers and the desires of your heart, that he would fill you. Come, Holy Spirit. Anoint this time. Anoint this worship. And speak to your people. Oh, Holy Spirit, move throughout this room. Lord, move to those even watching online. And Holy Spirit, speak to people. 
convict people. Do your work. And may the peace of Christ be their experience of hearing your loving voice prodding them on. Come, Holy Spirit. We worship you. I just want to ask you all now to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And again, I'm going to invite you to be bold today, but I also want to make sure that this is between you and God. It doesn't really matter who else is in the room. Although, on the other hand, it really matters a lot because this is your church family who love you. So here's the invitation today. If you would like for me to pray over you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's the first time or maybe it's the thousandth time. 
doesn't matter. But if the Holy Spirit is prompting you today to receive prayer to be filled afresh and anew with Holy Spirit, then I'll just invite you to stand where you are. pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you. Oh, Spirit of God, you are present in this room. Spirit of God, we know you're present because you live in the life of each person who calls on the name of Jesus. And Spirit of God, we know you're present because you say when we gather in the name of Jesus that you are present in our midst. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We say thank you for being here among us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will now Move in that mysterious way that you move. Lord, I thank you for each person who has stood, and Lord, you know where they're at. Lord, if anyone here has never prayed that prayer before or had someone pray over them, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, that you would be filled with the Spirit of God and know his love and his boldness and his power in your life. And Lord, I pray over those who they've prayed this many times in different ways. And Lord, I don't know what's going on in their life right now, but Lord, I believe that by standing, they're just humbly saying, I need you, God. I need you. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this moment, would you pour out over them and fill them with power and fill them with hope and fill them with every gift that you desire for them and fan those gifts into flame. So Holy Spirit, come. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Keep speaking. Keep ministering to every heart in this room. Lord, let no one feel any condemnation for not standing. It's all between you and us. You are not that kind of a God. You love all your children. You're calling all of us to just receive more of you. So I can invite everybody now to stand, please. And let's just continue to to worship and give the glory and praise to God in this last song.
about how to end the service. <laughs> we have lunch now, right? And people can just immediately go down for lunch. Great. And then after lunch, the meeting's in here, right? That is correct. So Plaster the Pastor is in here. And anything else I'm forgetting? Probably to pray for the meal. Okay. Um, let me just say this thing before I close in prayer. Um, just felt feel led to do this. Um, Darren and I are just going to, I'll be in this front pew, he'll be in that front pew, and if 
the Spirit's still stirring in you and you just wanted someone to, to pray for you this morning or we would just like to make ourselves available for a little while after the service. So if you'd like to do that, please come and join us. All right, let's pray. Well, Lord God, thank you for uh, blessing us with your presence. And oh God, that last song, wow, we worship you. You are the amazing God. We worship you. Lord, thank you for uh, the gift of hospitality that is so prevalent in this church. Thank you for the servants who have been working to make us food. And I just pray your blessing over each of them. And Lord, I pray that, uh, yeah, just your blessing and strengthening as we enjoy this food today and your spirit's presence to just continue, Lord, through all our conversations over lunch and through all of our business later in our meeting. We need you so much, Spirit of God. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and you can start heading down for lunch.